that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, we're going to be beginning this morning in verse 30, but by way of reminder, by way of review, if you'll remember with me, we had the Mount of Transfiguration last week. The Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John went up on the Mount with Jesus. And meanwhile, down in the valley, the other nine disciples were in confusion and disarray, trying to do what they were doing in their own strength. And they were not able to cast out a demon from a young man. And his father had brought him to them. And there's all this chaos going on. And in the finality of it all, uh, after Jesus cast out the death and dumb spirit... They go into the house, and his disciples ask him privately, verse 28, why could we not cast it out? Because if you remember, he had given them power and authority over demons. He sent them out. And, And so then he says in verse 29, so he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Listen to me. And... As I told you last week, many of the manuscripts don't include fasting. They just say prayer. And indeed, prayer is our number one access to the throne room. Come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's a place of of surrender, a place of humility, a place of, of, of relationship with God where we're saying we're dependent upon you completely. But do not miss fasting. It's something that we don't do in the church very much anymore. People don't fast. They like to buffet the body. Go into the buffets. But we don't fast. In fact, we like to pull up to fast food restaurants. And when they don't move fast enough, we like to complain about it. Listen to me. Fasting is of great importance in the church. Fasting is practicing what he had said in uh, 8.34b, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Denying self is the first step to death to self to begin to follow Jesus. If you're not denying yourself and have death to self, then you're probably still following the world. You're probably still following self. Listen to me. Fasting is a practice of denying self. 
It's denying the actual parts of the body. It's what it needs. When you fast food, not fast food like McDonald's or something, when you, when you tell your body no, you're practicing telling your body that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You're learning that you can do without. You're learning it's okay to deny yourself. You're learning it's okay to be dead to what your feelings and emotions and your body tells you, and learning to look at God's Word and do what it tells you to do. But see, in the natural person, in our flesh, in our sin nature, we think we have to have that next meal lest we die. We think I have to have that new toy lest somebody else will have more than me. But in the kingdom of God, it's upside down. It's different altogether. And that's why I call it culturanity, because we go to church and we read our Bibles, but we do everything the world does, the same way the world does, except we put Jesus' name in it. We call it Christian. We say amen to it. Fasting is teaching the body that we are eternal. Teaching the body that we don't have to fulfill its appetites. We don't have to take care of it in order to be right with God. It's teaching the body that the spiritual is more important than the physical. Fasting is something that's very, very important. And yet, it's a lost practice in the church. Fasting is drawing near to God. Now listen, when you fast, you don't, you're, you're, you're not bending God's arm. You're bending your will to come closer to God so you can learn what He's doing. You can learn from Him the spiritual realm. Fasting is not something that you have to tell people. In fact, when you fast, you're not supposed to let anybody know. You're supposed to act normal. It's between you and God, something you're doing in secret. And He rewards you openly. Prayer and fasting is something... Now listen, sticking with our analogy, and I know I looked at... It's funny, I looked at my tape last week, and my introduction before I started the text was actually 22 minutes long. Why is that significant? Because last week's teaching was an hour and 22 minutes. If I didn't do the introduction, I could keep it at an hour. But I feel like the introduction is always necessary to get us back in line with what is going on in the text. Remember, the Mount of Transfiguration was a type of a transformed glory of God. It's, it's a type of you and I, where we're going to be glorified one day. But down here, there's confusion. Down here, the devil is still making people deaf and dumb and stupid. Down here, he's causing confusion. But we are supposed to be heavenly minded. We're supposed to understand that through prayer and fasting, he's sanctifying us. He's getting rid of these things. He's getting our mind fixed upon the Mount of Transfiguration. He's getting our eyes focused on heavenly things. The place that we're going to be. We're supposed to be looking forward to that. That's why when we look at COVID and we become depressed, we should be looking at Jesus. Because He's coming real soon. 
And that's the end of the race. And that's where we want to be, long to be. Saints of old have all longed to be. And the Bible ensures us that the dead in Christ will rise first. The graves are going to bust open. You know what that's going to be? Evidence that the Bible is true. When people go and look at the graveyard and go, look at all these graves busted open. Evidence that what God said was true. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall meet the Lord in the air, and thus will always be with Him. And we should encourage one another with these words. Unless, of course, we're like Lot's wife and we want to look back. We, I'm not ready to go yet. Prayer and fasting is a necessary part of your sanctification. And there's things that will not come out unless you teach your body and you say no, no, no to it. And you deny self and you beat your body into subjection. Your mind, will, and emotion has to be trained by the Word of God, with the Spirit of God, with the truth of God. And if we continue to do what everybody else is doing, we're ignoring the Word of God. We're ignoring the work of God. We're ignoring the will of God. He told us if we desire to come after Him, that we need to deny self and take up our cross, be dead to self, and then follow Him. It's impossible to follow Jesus if you're still doing everything yourself. Because you quench the Spirit. And as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the children of God. Now why is it important to start with the training of the heart to deny with fasting? Because we got to get to the place of dead. See, because without dead, there's no resurrection. See, you can't rise again in the resurrection unless you deny and then you're dead. See, you got to go into the grave first, be dead crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, not by my resources, not by what I want to do, not by my desires, not by my physical food, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Listen, listen. Death is always before resurrection. And those who are not denying and dying are not going to raise in the resurrection of life. It is Christianity. Saying a prayer is not enough. Resurrection can't happen unless somebody dies. Yes, Jesus did, but we're crucified with Him. Yes, He rose again, but we're supposed to be rising with Him. And that word really means a recovery of spiritual truth. What happened? Well, with the first Adam, we lost it. We lost all spiritual truth because of original sin. And when we raise from the grave, when we raise in the newness of life, when we stop living in this physical death and begin to look up to the Mount of Transfiguration, we can begin to rise. We can begin to look and pray and fast and do it in His power, His might, His strength, and not in our own. In fact, before I move on to today's text, it's 1 Corinthians 15, 
Here is the godly heart that we should be involved with, the heart that's the direction. It's 1533. Listen to me because it's in the Bible many times where you are warned, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Cause an occasion to uh, apostate. Bad company corrupts good morals. Awake, you who sleep, awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. That's what Paul was saying to the church in Corinth. They're arguing, they're physical, they're fleshly, they're dividing up into groups. They're saying, but he said, and I said, and they said. And he said, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. See, our hearts are supposed to be awaking to the righteous way of life. And our hearts are supposed to be sinning less. And if they're not, it may be because we do not have the knowledge of God. We are not truly saved. If our heart isn't moving towards sanctification in His power and His might, according to His word for His glory. Now why is that important that we would talk about this? Again, death precedes resurrection. Because that's the point He's trying to get across to His disciples at this time. See, he's leading them. Remember, we talked about it last week. He's leading them to these truths. It's almost as if now, down the corridors of times, these become parables for you and me. These become spiritual truth that if you let the Spirit give you eyes, you'll be able to see what Jesus is saying to the church. There is transfiguration. There's transformation going on in your life if you're denying self. If you're denying what you want to do and dying to self and following Jesus, there's going to be this transforming thing go on. He's going to continue this, and he keeps trying to get his disciples alone so that he can teach them about what is really going to happen. Why? Because they've been lied to. They've been lied to by the religious rulers of the day. They've been lied to by the world. They've been deceived following an apostate system that was not the truth of God. And we've got the same thing today in the church. And that's why it's so important for you and me to get alone with God with prayer and fasting so that He can speak to us. Because my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And if we don't get alone and get into the Word and pray and fast, then all we listen to is the world. All we listen to is to the apostate church. All we listen to is is the same echo and the same voices of lies. But Jesus wants to speak clearly to you as His child and train you and disciple you in the way you're supposed to go. So let's begin. We'll follow this theme. Death precedes resurrection. And in order to train our hearts to die, we have to begin to deny self first. Deny that everything we've been taught 
by the world, if underneath the sway of the wicked one, is suspect or complete lie, put it in the grave. Verse 30, chapter 9, Mark, our evangelist, says, Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in his midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now John answered him, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him, because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it will be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck, and he would thrown into the sea, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone who is seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourself and have peace with one another. Now, I read all of that. We may not get to all of that, but I have read it so that in case we do get to it, it's quite a bit and it's quite lengthy and very hard to discern in some ways. Father, open our eyes to see. We have questions, Lord. Help us not be afraid to ask you because we know that you want to tell us as your friends, you want to tell us all things. You want to speak to us all truth. You want us to hear your voice and not the voice of somebody else. Lord, give us a voice so that we would not be echoes, but we would speak out of a relationship with you because you have shown us what you're going to do, what you've done, what you're doing. Help us, Lord, to be those who are being transformed. 
Help us to be those living sacrifices. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Mark 9, 30. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. Now, notice again, he doesn't want it. He's not, he's not waving banners. He's not tooting his horn. He's trying to get alone with his disciples because they have been falsely taught. Listen, they've been falsely taught that the Messiah would come and he would set up a secular kingdom where he would rule and reign and everything would be as in the days of Solomon and King David. Now they're in that deception, right? And so they've just decided themselves, who do men say that I am? Well, we say you're the Messiah, and they all agree. So now he has to convince them that they have been taught wrong and that they need to become like little children and learn again what the truths of God are and not to continue to hang on to the lies that were presented to them. Listen to me, because we're in the same fellowship, the same boat so he doesn't want people to know where they're going because he wants to get alone with those who are his disciples, his learners, those who would listen to him and he knows and he wants to use them to train others. So he wants to get them alone so he can focus on them and teach them the truth. Notice what it says in 31, for he taught his disciples and said to them, he gets them alone. They're going through Galilee. The Son of Man, which is Messianic, they would have known that, is being betrayed. King James, delivered. He's being delivered. We know it means betrayed, but the word in the King James is being delivered. It means yielded up, betrayed. He's being brought forth. He's being surrendered to. What? To what? Into the hands of men and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise on the third day. Notice that. Death precedes resurrection. But notice this. He was killed. He was murdered. He was an innocent man. The Bible calls it what it was. He was killed. But we know that God looks at it as he was a sacrifice. For this purpose he come. But the intent of man's heart was to kill him. To kill an innocent man. Who Pilate said was innocent at least seven times. Herod found no fault in him. He was an innocent man. That's murder when you kill an innocent man. Just like abortion. It's murder when you kill an innocent baby. But he... As he denied himself and he took up his cross and he followed the Father's plan was being a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And he knew for this purpose he had come. And Paul beseeches us in Romans 12. He says, I beseech you, I urge with you, I plead with you. To present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy because of God, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Transfiguration, the amount of trans- So you may prove you'll be the evidence of that good and perfect will of God. Listen to me. That's what we're called to do. And death precedes resurrection. See, the church today wants to live with resurrection. The church today wants to be transformed. The church today wants to go to heaven, but they don't want to deny self. They don't want to die. They don't want to be crucified with Christ. They want to live by flesh and by intellect and by knowledge, but not by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. Because that might be painful. I might have to do some work. I might have to say no and do some prayer and fasting. And He, Jesus, is teaching those who will listen that He's going to be delivered into the hands of men and they're going to kill Him. Now, think, I mean, just think about it. If you've been taught all your life that the Messiah is coming and He's going to restore all things to what they were, the splendor and the glory of David and Solomon, no wonder Peter tries to take Him aside and say, No, you're not. you got the plan mixed up there, Mr. Messiah. You've got to start a secular kingdom, and, 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 and I want to be on your right hand. And I don't care who's on the left, but I want to be the right-hand man, so I'm rebuking you so you'll know that I'm the leader. Pay attention. He's wanting them. He tells them. He tells them over and over again so that they will not be dismayed, shocked, destroyed, caused to stumble permanently when it happens. And right now, listen to me, people. Christ is trying to tell you, show you, clearly help us understand COVID. Clearly help us understand one world government. Clearly help us understand what's going on on the planet with perilous times. And the church seems to be drunk with confusion on the planet going, what's going on? The whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. They're lying, they're deceiving, they're trying to win your heart so you'll stop doing what God called you to do. We don't have to be in confusion. God is the God of order. He's not the God of confusion. Notice 32. I'm going to die, be killed, murdered, rise again on the third day. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. They kept silent. They were afraid. Notice their lack of understanding, their ignorance... And then their fear kept them from asking. Listen to me clearly, because right now, if you do the homework, you could find out what's going on in the Word of God. You could go onto your, your Google page, and instead of being entertained, you could actually search out at the CDC. You could actually look at the numbers. You could actually see the truth, and you could stop believing the lies of the false news reports. If we would just stop being ignorant, which means uninformed, if we would just do a little homework, 
then we would have a better understanding of what's going on. Now that's the secular realm. Down here, that's secular. That's the sickness down here. But what about the spiritual realm where we want to know what's going on up there? What's God doing? Because it's His timetable. He's allowing the secular realm to do what they're doing. When He was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, do you think He didn't know that the other nine were on the valley with a, with a blind, deaf guy? That is, you, did you think He didn't know what was going on? Then he comes down and he asks them questions. He's reasoning with them so that they will answer, so he can show them the confusion they are in, so that they can come to him and go, why couldn't we do it? Well, because of your lack of prayer, your lack of research, coming to the throne to obtain grace and mercy, to find out the truth, and your lack of fasting. So you're just paying attention in your emotions. You're just paying attention in the physical. When we are to regard nothing as physical anymore, it's all spiritual. If we're dealing with life only in the secular, only in the physical, only in the temporal, we're not being Christians. He's given us the spiritual. We are spiritual people that need to learn spiritual truths and follow the spiritual. Or the Spirit, I should say, who leads us in the Word of God and teaches us the truth of God to do the will of God for the glory of God. But we sit down here fighting and arguing and following the secular and the earthly battle. What is God doing? God is wrapping this stuff up. He's getting ready to put a bow tie on it. And then He's getting ready to burn it up and make all things new. That's not the fire you want to be a part of. You want that fire today. He's going to mention it down here in the text. We want the consuming fire that burns away our desires, that helps us to deny self, that helps us to realize we're dead, that helps us to grow and to change our opinions. We don't want the consuming fire that's going to burn everything up and make it new. The fire of destruction and the wrath of God. They didn't understand. They were afraid. Listen. What do you don't understand? What are you afraid of? What are you hiding from God? Think about this for a minute. They're getting ready to hide a bunch of stuff from God. They're walking the planet with the Messiah, with God, and they're afraid to ask Him the truth. You and I are walking with God daily, supposedly. We are His disciples. We are Christians. We're living with God. We have His book. We have His Spirit. We have His heart. He came and died to save us. We walk with Him, and we don't ask. We don't seek. We don't knock. So that He can give us understanding. Listen, it's going to get a little bit stronger. Then he come to Capernaum, and that's where his home base was at this time, really. Many think it was even in Peter's house, and that the child he picked up could have been Peter's son. I have no idea. Do not know that. Do not even know that it's Peter's house. But, man, it's amazing what people write down sometimes. 
And when he was in the house, and, it, and really it doesn't matter for the text, okay? He asked them. Notice he's not afraid to ask questions. He's not afraid to speak to you. He's speaking right now. He's here to equip you. He's called you here as an audience. You're here to hear from him, to let him ask you questions, just like he did when he come down the hill. What's going on? What are you guys doing? And the father answered, I brought my son to them, and they're unable to cast him out. Look, he's asking questions. What? Look at the one he asked. And, and there's, when you look at the other evangelists, the other gospels, you can see some, some more content with this. But let's just stick with what Mark's saying right now. What was it you disputed among yourselves? On the road. So when you are on the way, you're following me. What, what is it you're disputing about? But they kept silent. For on the road, here's the commentary from the Holy Spirit, they had disputed among themselves who was the greatest. Oh. Isn't that pretty cool? Here's Jesus out in front of them. So they're in a proper position, right? They're behind him. They're back there punching each other and acting stupid, and I'm making all this up, kind of paraphrasing this scene. You're not the greatest I am. I'm going to be at his right hand. You're I am. I'm the one that was on the mount, and I said, yeah, because you didn't have anything else to say, Peter. Why would You said something stupid. Let's build three tabernacles. Why would you build three? You don't even know. And they're arguing back there. And see, he's out in front of them. He's doing the will of God. He's leading them. He's the Messiah. And then he says to him, what was you disputing about? Listen to me. Do, do we really think that he doesn't know what you're disputing about in your heart? He already knew. Watch what he does. He does this entire scene to show them. He already knows. You can't keep silent. You can't hide sin in your heart. You can't hide your motivations in your heart. You can't hide your desires in your heart. You can't hide your pride in your heart. You can't hide what you want to do. And you're not, I'm not denying self and I'm not going to be dead to self. Then you ain't going to raise in the resurrection of life. And He knows what's in your heart. That's why life starts to ask you questions. That's why problems start to happen. That's why suffering comes in. That's why all of these things come up so that you will begin to cry out to Him and ask what's going on. And He can question your heart. And you can reason together. And though your sin was as scarlet, it can be white as snow. But what do we do? Something happens on the road. And we go, God's mad at me. This is all because God's mad at me. It's because of my sin. Your sin's been paid for. Don't be deceived and keep it secular. Let's take it into the heavenlies. All sin has been paid for. If you're a child of God, the only thing God's trying to do is get your attention so you'll deny self, you'll be dead to self, so that one day you can rise in the resurrection with Him. He's just trying to complete the work He started in you until the day of Christ Jesus. But we're arguing with Him. We're keeping silent before Him, the one we should be pouring our heart out to in the Word, prayer, and fellowship. We should be laying our whole heart out. He already knows. He already knows. All you got to do is agree with Him. Or confess is what the Bible calls it. But it means to agree with God. I agree, God. I have these aspirations in my heart, and I want 
to be the greatest. Think about that long and hard. I was, I was listening to somebody teach the other day, and it's been a long time ago, but it sticks with you. As a teacher, it sticks with you. And a pastor who had given the message that morning, he thought it was rather good, and he's pondering his preaching skills and driving, and, and he looks over at his wife and he says, how many great preachers do you think are in this world, honey? And she kind of looked at him and smiled and says, one less than you think. So listen to me. I, I think that's sobering. I like my wife to bring me back to planet Earth. I like my wife to tell me truth. I like when God brings me and humbles me. Do I like it in that second? No. Did you look for a battle in that car? Maybe. But if he was really a great preacher, he would have accepted the rebuke. He would have been humbled and been okay with it if he was really a great preacher. Listen, all of us have aspirations. All of us have this picture of what we think life should be like. But guess what? It's a dangling carrot by the secular lying world that's underneath the sway of the wicked one. And you think when you get to this place or that place or that thing that you're going to be great. You're going to be good. And it's really a relationship with Jesus that you need. Every one of us. It's really Jesus. It's really to ask Him. Don't be afraid to ask Him. Don't be afraid to come to the throne room. Don't be afraid to, to apply the principles of the Word of God and trust Him. Don't be afraid to fast. Don't be afraid to ask Him to help you with situations. The devil wants to keep you looking at the world in your own strength and running around in confusion, wondering why we could not cast out that demon and get rid of that problem when the whole point was to get to Jesus and ask Him. The whole point. The devil wants us disputing who prays the best. That's what the whole text of First Corinthians, or Corinthians is about. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. They're all somebody different. Who's the greatest? Jesus is the greatest. And the quicker we understand that, the better we'll be. Because when we're denying self, when we're dead to self, then we can enjoy resurrection. Because if we don't die, there is no resurrection. If we're not crucified, we don't get a raise in the resurrection of life. It's not just a simple prayer. That prayer is a heart that's moving toward the truth of all of the kingdom of God. To do the will of God for the glory of God. So they're disputing. It means to uh, um, discuss or argue and reason about or consider who's the greatest. Greatest means the larger the elder, who's more than others, right? Who's more? I mean, that's why pastors, when you see them, they go, how many people you got in your church? Like it really matters. That's the number one question. I go to pastor's conferences, like how many people you got in your church? I don't know how many you got in yours. One less now because I preach this sermon. <laughs> It's nothing to do with that. But we sat down here in this secular world thinking that numbers, Jeremiah preached for 40 years and never had one convert. And yet we have two books of the Bible written by him. 
Notice 35. And he sat down. Now what was that? He sat down. In that culture, teachers sat down. When they're ready to teach, they would sit down. That meant if you were one of his disciples, it's time to listen. See, we want to, we want to do all kinds of stuff instead of sit down and get alone with God and listen. Sit down in prayer. Sit down in your place. Quit standing up like you've got it going on and sit down and listen. See, typically, if we were being biblical right now, I would be sitting and you would be standing. That's why I call it culturanity. We do the exact opposite. You're sitting for your comfort and I'm standing. That's the way we've done it with men in our secular society. We've twisted it from what it was, and we still say we're still following Christ. As soon as he sat down, everybody that was his disciple knew it was time he was getting ready to say something to teach them a lesson to learn so that they would not repeat the secular, fleshly, temporal things, and they would get their eyes fixed upon what the kingdom of heaven was like. So what does he say as he sat down? Then he called the twelve and said to them. Notice this was specifically for his disciples. Those learners who wanted to learn from him. And he says again, if anyone desires. Remember that? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Same word again. If this is your determination. It's an act or an option that you're choosing. In Hebrews, Psalms 1, 1, it's, or it's, in Psalms 1, it says, His delight is. That's what this means. If this is your wish, if this is what you're inclined to do. Listen, all of us in our flesh, this is what we want to be noticed. We want to be first. We want to be the greatest. It's the sin nature that causes that. And the one who was the greatest, who was God... God of gods, King of kings, sitting on the throne in heaven, He took off. He took off His royal robes and came down and became the least of these. He came down and became an example where He became last, servant of all. He became the one who washed the disciples' feet in the last night of His life. Go read John 13. This is our example. He did have all power and was able. We just have this fictitious power that we think we have, this fictitious rule that we think we are, and it's all in pride from the devil and our sin nature. If anyone desires to be first, this is how you're going to be first. You want to be great? See, first and great are being used here interchangeably. He shall be last of all and servant of all. If you want to know how to become great in the kingdom of God, do it the way Jesus did. Lay down your life. Give up your life. Deny yourself. Be dead to self. Take up your cross, that's death, and follow the Father's plan. Follow His Messiah. Be led by His Spirit. First is foremost in time, place, or importance. It's the best. It's chief. But humility is to put others first. 
You see, Christ was first. He was God and he became last. And we have to understand this in significance is that God's a God of order. He's not a God of confusion. Because a lot of times we think, well, you're not the boss of me. And well, we're all equal in the body of Christ. And, and I get to do what I want to do. And that's not the way I look at it. But listen, God is not a God of confusion. He's written a specific word, instructions for us. And being not a God of confusion, he's laid out authority in the universe and he's given us specific things that we're supposed to be doing. He's made certain people specifically in charge of things because he's a God of order. If there was nobody in charge and nobody over anything and nobody in authority, it would be a God of chaos. We would have lawlessness in the street. Nobody's the boss of me. Let's change everything. And everything is actually in flux and always moving. And there's no absolute truth. See, that's what the secular world's trying to bring in on America right now is lawlessness, no authority. Let's get rid of the police departments. Let's just counsel and talk to one another about psychological things. Let's philosophize and just talk about how good of a utopia we could have if we would get rid of all the authority. See, it's the opposite of the kingdom of God. And that's why you've got to be careful when you rest there and you don't look higher than that because now you're entangled in the affairs of this life and you cannot please Him who called you to be a soldier if you get entangled on this level. See, it's important to know it so you can point it out and you can show the disparity of what God has done and what God is doing and what Christians should be involved in. But it's not where you want to hang your hat. And it's sad when you see the only argument that Christians can have against these things is, well, the statistics say, and well, if you really just, and why would the, what about what the Word of God says? Isn't it the truth that sets people free? The Word of God. I'll get carried away on you. I'll just digress here. Let me take a deep breath. If your desire is to be great or to be noticed or to have some work in the kingdom of God, you have to humble yourself. You have to look at yourself as being last and serve all. You have to begin to have the heart and the mentality that you will put your hands to anything God gives you, the menial task. And let God lift you up. When you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, He lifts you up. But servant of all means that you are waiting on all. Notice that that's, you know, when, when in, in, in Acts chapter 6, when there was problems in the church, because this is a word for deacon, never mind, it's Greek anyway, um, but it's a word used for deacon means slave or master or servant or attendant. When they needed help clarifying things in the church in that day, what did they do? They found people full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and, 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 and uh, they made them table washers. They made them attendants. They made them workers who were serving all the people that were complaining. And they were the first elders, the first deacons. But they knew the Word of God 
perfectly. Remember Stephen? He's, he's, he's out there in chapter 7 and he's, he's arguing with the wisdom of God against the, the freedmen and they end up killing him. He's the first martyr of the church. But what was he? He was a table washer. He was a servant of all. And he became the first martyr of the church. Yet, we want people to serve us. And we don't want to do anything to deny self, to be dead to self, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. What we want is to say a simple prayer and think that life is going to be okay. And we don't have to do anything else except show up. That's not the kingdom of God. In fact, look what he says in 36... Then he took a little child. This was standard. You grab something, you show the analogy, you put something out in front of them so that they can see it. So he grabs a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him up in his arms, he said to them, that's an analogy there, you're safe in the arms of God. Listen to me. That's an analogy there. He's taken us up in his arms. He's bore our sins for us. He will carry us. He's our strength. He's, he's going to do everything to get us across the finish line. But we have to understand that we're the child. We're the children. Look at this. Sets the child, takes him in his arms, and he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. Listen to me very clearly because you need to understand this, is that we come to God as a little child. Such is the kingdom of God. But notice it's in my name. Everything about this is my name. You're going to see this about three times now. Because this, what does my name mean? There's salvation in no other name. The very first thing you're going to find when you look that up is authority. Because God is a God of order and there's authority. But it means His character, His nature, His will. It's something you can identify Him by. But there's also evidence of that authority in the universe. There's evidence of that authority in the true church. That they understand spiritual authority. They understand spiritual death. And physical death. They understand spiritual resurrection and spirit and physical resurrection. They understand these truths, but it's in His name. So listen to me. Listen to me. The point being that we have to come to God as a child. Totally dependent upon Him. Now listen, when you were born as a child into this secular world, you were taught a bunch of lies, a bunch of deception. You were born into a family that was dysfunctional. Don't, I hate to even use the word that's secular. But that's what it was. There was nobody born into a family that was not born into a dysfunctional family. Until you choose to be born into the family of God. Listen to me. There's no perfect earthly fathers. There's no perfect earthly families. And you did not get to choose which family you were born in, but now you can choose in God's family, in God's kingdom, in the kingdom of God, you can choose or you can reject it. You can choose to receive the message of Jesus like a little child, or you can choose to reject it. 
But when you refuse Jesus, you're refusing who sent the Messiah. When you receive Jesus, you're not receiving Jesus, but you're receiving a new father, a new family, a new inheritance, a new hope, a new and living way from the death of this secular world and this fleshly temporal life. Now you're receiving a spiritual life, a spiritual family, a spiritual kingdom of order, not disorder. And you're choosing to once again come underneath the authority of that Father. Give me a minute and I need to find this. Because see, one day, it's actually... 1 Corinthians 15 again. 15, 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all most pitiful. We are of all men most pitiful. But now, there's a contrast here. Christ is risen from the dead. Notice, death preceded resurrection and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Notice that there's a first fruit. It speaks that there's going to be more fruit. For since by man came death, by man also came resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, that's where death comes from, the sin nature. Even so in Christ all have been made alive. If you're in Christ, you can be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming, which means he's coming again. Listen, though, 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, for he first must reign till he has put all of his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy is destroyed, which is death. Again, my only point was is that we are going to be delivered back to the Father, to a house, to a perfect house, a kingdom in heaven that has an inheritance from the Son who died for us. And you can choose to be in that family, but when you do, you choose to be under the authority of that perfect God, that perfect Father, and you choose to follow His ways. You cannot do it your way. And he will discipline his children. He will discipline them promptly. And he will discipline them properly. But not to kick them out of the family, but to train them in righteousness. You can go read that in Hebrews chapter 12. He wants to train you. And if you'll receive that training, it will produce peaceable fruits of righteousness in your life. Everything is about God training his children in the way that they're supposed to go. He's trying to train your heart. How does he do that? First, he's asking you if you desire to follow him, if, that, if that's what you choose to do, then you begin to deny what you want to do. You deny your own conceits, your own conceptions, your own ways, your own things that you want to do, and you say, wait a minute, I'm in a new house, I have a new father, he has new rules, he has a plan, he has already made me to do certain things. So you don't get to make up your own desires, that's the problem. That's the problem with wanting to be great. That's still fleshly. That's the problem of wanting to be something that you're not, that's still fleshly. 
Why? Because the Holy Spirit gives gifts. The Holy Spirit, God's building the church. We don't build the church. So all we do is choose to be in His family, and He's already designed you for something. He's already gifted you with something. He wants you to just deny what you want to do and step into the freedom of what He's called you to do. And He'll give you the power. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the might. He'll give you everything you need to do it. And that's what He's working on, but we're fighting with Him. And so... His point is, is that you need to become as a little child. And what does a little child do? It needs to relearn. And if you're born again, little born again ones, then you have to say, wait a minute. Death to self means everything I thought I knew about the kingdom of God. Everything I thought I knew about life is now needs to be dead. It's suspect at very best, but probably dead. And I need to start listening to the voice of God and learning the word of God and walking in the truth of God so that I can be a child of God in his house because that's where I'm being delivered back to. So I set my heart toward doing it his way. Look at Hebrews 5 again. We've heard many times. I'm going to keep going here. I don't have any new messages. I only have 66 books to work with. And it doesn't change. See, I am God. I do not change, he would tell us. He's the, he's the unchanging one. We might even look at that in Malachi chapter 3 here in a minute. We're never going to get there, are we? No. Look, it's 5.12 Hebrews. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. See, still a child because we're not listening and denying self and being trained. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Still a child. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use... If you've been denying yourself, if you've been dead to self, if you've been trying to obey God and follow God and listen to God, your use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You're using and being trained and learning and asking God and reasoning with Him. And you're receiving the gospel message. You're receiving in His name. It's interesting that the word receive there means uh, to accept or listen. It means to take. It's a wedding. Do you, Mike, take Martha to be your wedded wife? Listen. Do you, Greg, take Christ to be your husband? That's what receive means. It means to take. I, yes, it's a wedding vow. I take him to be my husband. So now, as the bride, I have to come underneath his authority. And no matter which way, family with God the Father or marriage with Christ as the groom, you have to come underneath the authority of the Word of God. The problem from the garden is they said no to the Word of God. They stepped out from underneath the covering of the truth of the Word of God, the authority of God, and the fool has said no in his heart. But when you say yes and you choose and you desire to choose to come after Him, then you begin to say no 
to self, which has been trained by the devil. No, to everything that's in the world. No, and you say yes to God. It's called flipped upside down or to the right side. No longer saying no to God, but your heart is turned to say yes to God because you see that He died for you. You see His grace is good for you. You see that it's a new life in a family. You go, I wish I'd have been born in a good family. I would have been like this, and I would have been like that, and I'd have been great. And if I would have had what they had, I would have been... No, you're on the physical plane. You've been born into a new family. You've been given everything. And again, I digress. But all of us were born into bad families. Yes, some of us had better families. I know that. Better opportunities. But the whole world is born into sin. The point is, have you been reborn? into righteousness. Have you received Him? Do you have a new father? Are you still pointing at the old father? Or are you just enjoying the new father and telling others about this great life that you've found, this family, this hope, this new home? Because we're called to go and tell people about this house, about this home. But you have to come as a child wanting to be trained in his house. It's in His name, according to His authority, His character, His nature, His will. You are the child. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But to as many as received Him, He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in His name. Name. It's all about His name. There's nobody else with authority to give us salvation. There's nobody else with authority who lived a perfect life and poured out His blood and the sacrifice was received. There's salvation in no other name except in the name of Jesus. And Jesus, when all is fulfilled, when the resurrection, because, see, when the graves burst, and we started with this, when when the graves burst, when the resurrection happens, what is that? That's the evidence. Once again, that death has been defeated. See, we can talk about it all day long today, that, that the victory has, has been won over death, but until we're with God, the evidence hasn't been proven. So at the end of the age, which is right now coming, the graves are going to burst open. And then the evidence will be clear that death was defeated in Christ. See, because the wages of sin is death. And they all go to the everlasting fire, which is the next text. They all go to Guiana is what he calls it here, which was a, the dump that was always burning and never went out at the edge of the city so that they would understand again, like the child, he has this dump that's on fire. It's never put out, always burning. I'm not going to get there, though, and I'm purposely going to stop here. I wanted to move on, but, 
even as I read it, the Spirit of God told me to stop there. So I'm not going to be disobedient to what God said. Even though I would love to get to the rest of this because it's so good. Listen. The Father loves us so much that He sent His Son. He gave His most prized possession to die for us. And if we desire, if we have chosen, and that's what people say they do when they say a prayer, my life is shambles, I realize I'm a sinner, the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, and you say, I choose to be in the family of God. But then you go away and all your choices outside of God are choosing to put you first, and you want to be the greatest, and you don't dare be last. But such is the kingdom of God. Or you train your heart to serve others and to give yourself away. Where you train your heart to hear the voice of God and do the will of God and learn what gifts God has given you and you walk in them and you're not upset with them because it's His house. And we're all going to share the same inheritance. Whether you're cleaning toilets or preaching. Whether you're mowing the grass or straightening the chairs. Whether you're doing the ministry at the jail or whatever you're doing. We all get the same inheritance if we're doing it because of the Father. If we're doing it because He sent His Son. If we're doing it because we received the Spirit when we believed in the atoning sacrifice of the blood of Jesus. But if we're doing it so that we can be noticed, we're still in the flesh. We're still serving God the old father and the flesh and this secular world and playing church. So death must precede resurrection. If you want to have fellowship with God and know the power of His resurrection, there must be death to self. It begins with denying self Every step of the way you begin to deny self and train your heart that you're dead. And one day we will wake in the resurrection of life. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. Lord, that we would not confuse it with a secular, temporal, fleshly world. We would not walk it out in our sin nature. We would not try to do it in our strength, but we would trust that you will build your kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail. You will build your church, Lord. So build us up in the most holy of faith. Help us to walk in our gifting and to love and serve those around us. Thank you for your great mercy and your great grace. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana, 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. 
If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?